What's up, everybody? When we first decided to start a podcast, the natural first episode felt like it should be an origin story of how TSM came to be. But in my youth, someone once told me, quote, when you are starting something new, it's important to take what you've learned from the past, but always keep your eyes forward. Reminiscing about the past is for luncheons and campfires, neither of which you're at right now, end quote. Relatively strong words to live by, and some may say even have a pinch of arrogance. But either way, I've kept that advice soundly inside my brain since the day it was spoken to me. So even though we are still living and breathing the Ski Monster, we are now embarking on something completely new, the Boston Ski Party Podcast. Initially, we decided to stay true to that advice and start the podcast by looking at the present shape of TSM with an eye towards the future. And honestly, after just a handful of episodes under our belts, it's a lot of fun to learn, talk shop, and ironically, reminisce with friends about the shared experiences we've had through this wild ski industry journey. This podcast format of familiarity and shared involvement with our guests was not something we were initially thinking about, but as we started to have these conversations recorded for the very first time, all the different perspectives about the same shared realities started to naturally come out. This got us thinking that maybe our origin story and reminiscing about the journey that's got us to having our very own podcast studio was actually the most natural way to start this new endeavor. We, and by we I mean George and I, have told the story of TSM more times than we can probably count. And if I'm being totally honest, I've told it so many times that I probably, stupidly, assume that everyone who comes through TSM probably knows it, which of course is wildly inaccurate and very narcissistic on my end. Which is funny to me because for about 17 years of my life, my mother told me to never assume anything because it's only going to make an ass out of you and me, which is so true. Love you, mom. The Ski Monster's origin story and current existence is one that is full of more twists and turns than anyone would care to believe. After all the roadblocks that were put in front of us, we are still here. The very fact that we are still here today in downtown Boston and our very own world headquarters is nothing short of freaking crazy. On top of the sheer determination to stake a claim in the ski industry, there is now so much more to the ski monster than just two college kids with a wild idea to start a retail website. The people that currently make up TSM are some of the biggest proponents of the company's success. We hope that you guys enjoy the wild ride as much as we did. Enjoy the show. Holler. It is what it is, man. 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 It's cheap, too. TheSkiMaster.com All right. So where do you want to start, dude? Where, where, where are we going to go? Are we going to start right at the very beginning? How, how do you want to do this? Dude, I think we start where we met at the beginning. Okay. Start at the beginning. We can do that. UMass Lowell, baby. All right. UMass Lowell. Um, so, yeah. George and I went to uh, UMass Lowell together. Uh, we lived across the hall from each other freshman year of college and ultimately became roommates sophomore year and well beyond that. Um, roommates for a very long time. Uh, bunk beds for a long time, too, which was, which was a good time. That's a whole other story. <laughs> we can get into that maybe another time. But uh, let's go back to freshman year. Freshman year, um, when we met, um, Giorgio basically asked me, hey, man, can you, do you know how to ski? And I was like, well, yeah, I, can, I know how to ski. I skied a little bit when I was a kid. Uh, George's ex-ski racer, hot shot. So, you know, him and a bunch of other of our college buddies. George, myself, a few other dudes. We, uh, I think the first time we all skied together was we, I think we went to Loon and then, um, you know, I, I was skiing with those guys and I realized pretty, pretty quickly, well, I, I can ski, but I can't really ski like that. Can't ski like that, but well, you know, this is good. This is, I'll get on the level. Well, let's, 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 let's keep this rolling. This is a lot of fun. So, um, in the following year, uh, our sophomore year, George got a job at this ski shop in Southern New Hampshire called Zimmerman's, which is about, it's about 20 minute drive from UMass Lowell and, 
you know, he was selling skis. So naturally the following year, he hooked me up with a job there. And um, I started in the basement tuning, mounting skis, all that jazz. And that's where kind of the ski industry journey starts. Um, you know, when we were working at that, at that shop in Nashua during, during college, I mean, it was the same reason really any college kid would, would work at a, at a ski shop. You know, it was cheap gear, deals on, on lift tickets, you know, a little bit of change in your pocket. You know, it was all, it was all fun. And, um, but the, the more time that we spent there, I think we, we realized um, that there was maybe an opportunity to do, to do something different here. And, and that's where we kind of, kind of kick yeah, off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it became clear when we did our first ski demo at Stratton in Vermont, pretty unreal event. I mean, every brand is there, every ski model, and you can try it all. So we get home from that after having a killer time. And we're thinking about the landscape of like ski retail, ski media, and no one is saying how one ski compares to another. You really don't have any context of where a ski is placed in the spectrum that is skis. It's just, here is this ski. Hey, it's great at everything, period. If we provided context, we could probably sell some skis on the internet. Mm-hmm. And dude, you know what's actually crazy is we're basically the only ones doing this still 17 years later. Yeah. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> All right, let's see. How should we start this? Oh, six. Uh, okay. So in summer 2006, we were back in Minnesota, where I'm from, spending a lot of our free time on Minnetonka and partying at Big Island on the weekends. And there was this uh, yacht that would be tied up there every weekend named uh, Del Toro. Yeah. Yeah. And Del Toro, it, the thing about Del Toro, it, the logo of the boat was like this face. Um, it was like this face of a bull, like a giant Brahma bullhead. And the boat always had this massive flag with its logo on it. It had DJs playing, live sets at the sandbar. I mean, shit, shit was, was insane. And for whatever reason, you, you're, just, you're just drawn to this name. You, you were drawn to the logo, the aura of the boat. You didn't really, really know why. So when it was time for, for both of us to come up with a name and logo associated with that name for, for our you know, newly formed company that we're kind of working on, we wanted it to have the same type of feel as, as Del Toro. You know, we wanted the name of the company to feel big, right? We wanted it to feel a lot bigger than it was at the time. Like a lot bigger than two ski shop kids who were trying to sell skis online. Like who would <laughs> want to buy skis from George and Eric Ski Chalet? Like no one, like fucking no one. No. <laughs> so, so we came up with the name uh, Ski Monster. It says what we do and we can make a face out of it. Basically, you know, monsters have faces and we can model this whole thing after this boat, Del Toro. So uh, back in the MySpace days, you know, I post a bulletin, uh, graphic designer needed, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, dollar sign, you know, because that really brings them in. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> this, this dude uh, hits me back up and I run this whole Del Toro story, you know, um, through with him. And he sends me, you know, a few drafts and we're narrowing stuff down. Honestly, the first draft kind of looked like the original outdoor tech logo. It does. It did. Um, yeah. Like Sasquatchy. And I was like, dude, that's not what we're going for. It was sick though. You know, that looks like a headphone company that's probably going to come <laughs> out eventually. Um, They're going to do fine. They're going to be okay. So um, we get this logo and I'm like, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, what do we owe you? And he's like, hundred bucks. I think I PayPal'd him. Maybe I sent him a check. I, I don't really remember. And I grab Eric and I'm like, dude, check this shit out. Dude, I, well, it's funny because I remember it vividly. Um, George was at his, his like makeshift little desk like next to like his DJ setup in our college apartment. And I remember like looking over his shoulder and I remember seeing him for the first time and I was like, yo, dude, 
like I think people are gonna think this is fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. like, look at this thing. Yeah. Uh, it it was like kind of like a weird thing. It, like slapped me in the face. I'm like, holy shit, we like have a real logo, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so so now that we have this name and this logo, we're like, all right, well, let's try to buy some skis and start selling them. You know, I mean, let's 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 go for this thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, we start calling around to ski companies, and we're like. Basically, I'm like, hi, this is Eric from Ski Monster. We'd uh, like to buy some skis uh, to sell on our super awesome website that doesn't really exist yet. But we had a warehouse. You know? <laughs> we had a warehouse. Yeah, we worked well, at my dad's it. warehouse. We're like, oh, yeah, you can you ship, can it, ship it to the warehouse. Don't worry. We'll sell it. We'll yeah. pay, we're going to pay you. And then the customer service people were like, I'm sorry, who, who are you? Where are you calling from? Uh, uh, yeah, we don't do business that way. So we uh, obviously quickly realized that we are not going to acquire inventory that way like a bunch of idiots. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we're like, Stupid. we're like, uh, okay, we got to build these relationships. So we went back to New Hampshire to work at the ski shop in fall of 2007. And later that season, we pitched the ski monster idea to the owner of the shop. And, you know, also said like, we could do a, a profit split and deal accepted. Okay. Let's fucking go. Mm-hmm. And let's get a website built. Right. So we bounced around, you know, a bunch from design team to design team, talking with different developers and nothing seems to pan out. No one gets back. This price gets quoted too high and, you know, stuff fizzles out. So we end up getting a hold of this firm in Minneapolis and go through what we want the site to do, all that, this, that, and the third. And uh, the dude there, Trevor, um, was like, give me a few days and I'll get back to you with a quote. And what we were asking for needed to be fully custom built, front end, back end. The reporting was going to be crazy. I mean, there was a lot of like wizardry going on with that website. And so it was going to, you know, cost a ton. And we got the quote back and it was over $250,000. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? I don't have $250,000. Yeah, this isn't going to work. What the fuck is going to gonna work? What about, what about like our, our dream here? So I was like, Trevor, <laughs> dude, what? What can we do for about 12,000 bucks? And we can't pay you that now. <laughs> we can give you a thousand bucks a month. Like basically, <laughs> can you finance this? And he was, and he did. And so the site goes up. We're marketing the shit out of this thing, MySpace and Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, this thing was like really built on that and slapping stickers <laughs> everywhere and giving away t-shirts, bandanas and, and, and all that stuff. Dude, like when you, when you tell that story now, it just, it reminds me of like, Eastbound and Down, season one, when Kenny Powers is like, it says, and Edge Saber's like, I'm going to pay you 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no. And he's like, it's going to be, it's going to be 200 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then, and then miraculously, we make our first sale. Yep. We made our first sale. And um, the sale was, you know, George and I were sitting in a bar in Nashville, New Hampshire. It's actually called The Peddler's Daughter, still there. Great establishment. Uh, we were eating macaroni and cheese and probably some clam chowder, heavy hitting dinner, you mm-hmm. know, carb, mm-hmm. carbon up. And uh, both our phones <clears throat> chirped at the same time. And I remember we, we both kind of opened up our emails and we, and we looked at it and we were both like, holy shit, we just sold a forefront click ski. <laughs> and at first I just didn't really believe it. I'm like, dude, that, that product page is, is like half completed, but somehow the person still bought it. And we were both like, dude, what just happened? Like, what do we do? Do we yeah. go and like grab a box and like box it up? How does this, how does this work? <laughs> we, we didn't even have boxes. We didn't have a tape gun. No, no, we and didn't. you know, like what was crazy is like on that invoice number, like it was like 10 digits or whatever to make it look like we did a bunch of orders, but yeah. it was really just our first, that was sick. our first one. Yeah. So, you know, we, we get the ski the next day. Uh, we drive to 
FedEx, like a couple of parents dropping their kids <laughs> off at the first day of school. Shedding a tear. And uh, sent out our first order, slapped that sticker on it. It was, uh, yeah, yeah. It was a surreal moment. And really from, the, from then on, um, those, those earlier years were kind of just spent really just grinding, man. Like, and and we, we grounded out on the retail sales floor, constantly trying to grow TSM any way that we could. We're trying to build as many relationships as we could with, you know, brands, manufacturers, you know, regional sales reps, you name it. And I just, I just really feel now like those early, early ski shops year, years were, were really like an integral part really of both, you know, the way we looked at the industry at the time and that the way the industry looked at us at the time, like especially, or at least from like a New England perspective. Yeah. So, um, you know, around then too. So like in, in 2010, Del Bello, which was based out of uh, New Hampshire, took notice of what we were doing and uh, called us in for a meeting. And they wanted, you know, someone like some group of people, a firm, whatever, to do, you know, their social media. And they wanted us to pitch them on what we would do for yeah. them. Like, you know, honestly, that was like a crazy fucking meeting. It was awesome. Uh, it was our first like big boy meeting, you know, we had to ask for, you know, they asked us how much we wanted, you know, and we had to like give them an answer <laughs> and it, dude, we landed the job sick. and, uh, you know, yeah, we ran their social channels until, uh, 2012. Well, I also remember too, we went in with a number, you know, went, we're like, we're probably gonna have to say a number today. And we, we, we came up with a number, like walking into the meeting. And then when he asked, when Clint asked how much is it going to cost? And you said like, way more than what we agreed to the number. And they're like, that doesn't seem so bad. And I was like kicking you under the table. I was like, Oh dude. <laughs> yeah. Sick. <laughs> That's sick dude. Yeah. We're going to be rich. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was a, definitely a lot of cool things that happened uh, while working for Dow Bell. Um, but I, I honestly think the coolest thing that I can really remember that really sticks out to me was picking out the graphic for, for Tanner Hall's pro model Krypton one year. That was like a surreal, cool moment. Like we were at a Dalbell meeting. Um, I don't at this, you know, I can't remember what it is now, but we, we came out of the meeting and Clint Lyon was like, boys, boys, come over here. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you. We're like, well, what's going on? I'm like, are you in trouble or something? Like that? And, Tanner, and he's like, oh, well, Tanner Hall isn't picking up his phone. Mm. So, you know, you guys are deciding on the final graphic for this year's pro model. And we were like, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and it was between like three or four different graphic renderings. But we, we both, you know, Landed on the same one. We're like, this is the one. This is the clear cut winner. And that's the one that Dow Bella made for the following year. It was pretty, it was pretty fucking dope. Yeah, it was really dope. And, um, you know, we, we both skied in those boots and got everyone for else a long to, time. Yeah, we did. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it was the first, no, nah, it wasn't the first one that had a gold chain in the back, but it was kind of like a marbly, like, um, Rasta deal. It was, it was an incredible boot. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, so, so we did that, and so, let's see. So around then, yeah, we'd be going into, like, the 2011, 2012 mm -hmm. season. And, yeah, dude, at that point, yeah, we were we were really starting to gain some traction. Yeah, it, 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 we were. It felt that like that, too. And um, <clears throat> really around that, we kind of knew that the energy around the TSM brand that we were, we were trying to create was was going to be a problem with the with the retailer that we were, we were partnered up with at, at that time. So I mean, we had stickers all over the resorts. You know, we were ordering stickers from from Red Brick like crazy, giving them out for free. Shout out to Red Brick. 
um, reps were rocking our decals on their trucks. We, we started ranking for, for products at Google. You know, we we're like, holy shit, this is crazy. It started to feel, you know, really cool that, that yeah. people were recognizing something that we kind of came up with out, yeah. out of thin air. And, you know, our Facebook page was exploding. Sales were happening. It was just, it was an exciting time. Yeah. So basically we knew we were going to get fired from the ski shop. That relationship was going to end no matter how good of a job we did. It's very true. It's very true. And unfortunately for us at, at that time, you know, it felt inevitable that we were going to get let go um, because Ski Monster was, was, you know, honestly, it was trending to be a lot cooler and a lot more exciting than the retailer we were working with at, at that time. Yeah. So flash forward to um, the morning of February 17th, 2012, you know, mm-hmm. we're driving up mm-hmm. from our apartment in uh, Woburn, Mass to Nashua. And uh, we take a left on uh, uh, the Danny Webster Highway. And we can see his like truck is there and it's not supposed to be our, there. our boss at the time. Yeah. Our boss's yeah. Uh, truck and um, not supposed to be there. And we're like, oh, oh, okay. So we're driving up to towards the store and whenever he is, you know, pissed off, angry, whatever, he picks up trash. It's true. And this time he wasn't just picking up trash in the store. He wasn't picking up trash in the parking lot. He was picking up trash in the middle of the Danny Webster highway. And I'm like, this is going to be a this bad is, fucking day. This is not good. This is, this is, in, this is <laughs> awful. So, um, uh, Eric was driving. We pull into the parking lot. He parks, take a sip of our coffee, you know, realizing like we're about to like just be, you know, it's gonna be a long uh, day. in for it. And, um, uh, he's right at the car and he's like, What's up, guys? And we're like, hey, dude, what's going, going on? on? How are you? And uh, he's like, so uh, you guys are done. And we're like, okay. Um, end of the season. Like a couple months. End of the month. Uh, and he's like, no, right now. And we're like, <laughs> oh, okay. And he's like, well, that's it? And we're like, well, yeah. Yeah. And he's like, well, you guys can, you know, like leave your stuff here and, you know, you could come back and get it later. And we're like, okay. Um, well, I guess uh, we'll see you later. So it was it was a weird inter- <laughs> after all that time. It was the weirdest way to, to, <laughs> yeah. to end it. It was yeah. kind of it was really strange. Yeah. So we we drive from uh, there down to uh, the Pheasant Lane Mall, and I think we each called our parents to like let them know like, hey, we just got uh, fired, and um, we're. Uh, Going to get some stuff figured out. I think I said to my dad, I, he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur now. And he's like, oh, so you're unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, dude, fuck. Uh, so, got off the phone with them and uh, we gave Matt Titus a call, our boss at Del Bello, asking him if he could like meet um, later that day. And um, uh, he could. So, um, yeah, we headed... We headed up, headed north to Andover, New Hampshire, and um, which is kind of funny because I spend so much time up there now. It's kind of like a weird, like ironic thing that that's where we, we were going. So we get we get to uh, Dalbello that day, um, and now we inform Matt Titus, our boss at the time at Dalbello, that we were let go earlier that morning. Um, and naturally, you know, now is kind of these new ski industry free agents, which we thought at the time. We 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 you know we naturally inquired about whether there was you know any room to further our role at the Dow Bello brand. And of course, you know, and more importantly, we are, we are there to also seek some level of advice about the, the next steps um, with, with the Ski Monster. And also real quick, like so, sidebar, so time out for a second. I mean, Matt Titus, 
um, now of Roxa Sports, is is the man. Um, shout out to Matt. Awesome guy. He's such a good dude. He's definitely helped us a ton more on more than one occasion on this kind of journey together. So Matt, if you're listening, dude, shout out to you. Um, sorry, back on track here. Um, so talk to Matt. Oh yeah. Okay. So then, then, then Clint line walks into Matt's office yeah. and, and Clint's yeah, yeah. like, and Clint again, was the president of WL USA at the time. And he kind of gets caught up on the, on the news of the day. We're kind of talking and then out of the blue, he kind of just strongly suggested that we open up a ski shop in Manchester, New Hampshire. Well, yeah, dude, Clint was like, I will finance you guys. If you open a store in Manchester, I want you to smack that little shit Dylan around. <laughs> and we were like, uh, okay, uh, we'll start looking at spaces. And Clint was like, there are a few vacancies near his store. Um, like right across the parking lot, look at those first and let me know how it goes. And we're like, Oh my God, what a fucking day. What this a turn is. of events. Yeah. So we start looking at spaces and figuring out what the math has to look like in order for this to work. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And then I think there was a, there was, if I remember correctly, there, there was a demo at loon, um, yeah. that next week. So we we're like, well, fuck it. Like, well, let's, let's, let's still go to the loon demo. Let's try to like put on a good face. It's going to be fun. Obviously we just, had a week off of work, mm-hmm. um, but let's try to, try to stay relevant and, and, and put our faces out there still. So um, while we were leaving the Loon demo, we actually got an email from uh, Brad Haverly, who's, mm-hmm. who at the time was our flow snowboarding rep and is now um, Solomon Snowboards and Icelandic Skis. Mm-hmm. And he essentially told us that he's, you know, he's like, hey, I heard through the grapevine that you guys were trying to look at a space. You're trying to open up your own store. Um, and basically he's like, if you can just like pause for a second before you go full in on kind of starting your own shop and, 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 and you finish those conversations, decide before you decide doing that 100%, you know, give me a call. I might have an interesting opportunity for you. So um, the opportunity was to meet with this, this guy named John, um, who at the time was the owner of, of East Coast Alpine. And at that time, uh, he had three stores and the Boston Ski Expo. Um, so the meeting with John, he essentially proposes to us that before we decide to make the jump into our own full-blown you know, retail store, that we come and look at his stores, his warehouse, his operation, his inventory to see what he's got going on, and maybe we can make a similar deal to what we had prior. Yeah, so uh, we check out you know, his inventory, and it was more than we'd ever Cra- seen or crazy. could fathom, and it was pretty ridiculous. And... You know, we were thinking like, dude, we could start making, you know, money tomorrow. Ski Monster doesn't, you know, really have any hiccup at all. And, um, I mean, we could keep it all going because we don't have access yeah. to inventory anymore. So we talk a bit more and decide to do a deal. Um, at that time, we worked out of our apartment in Woburn in uh, those red chairs you've for listeners that you've Famous probably seen in the Boston store. Mm-hmm. And we're just building out product pages, trying to drive as much traffic to the site as possible. And dude, we were cranking out like, you know, you know, beyond product pages and social media stuff. Yeah. Two, two blogs a day to get traffic going. Yeah. A lot of blogs written in those red chairs next to the window, coffee, blog, another coffee, blog, scotch. It's pretty much was the program. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much was the program. Yeah. The unemployment program. Yeah, it was Entrepreneur great. program. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're right, I'm sorry. Entrepreneur program. Yeah, so during that, um, during the early times with ECA, uh, I will say it was, it was definitely a, mutu- a mutual, mutually, excuse me, beneficial relationship 
because it felt like we, we were both kind of saving each other's asses, you know, looking back on it. Obviously, we badly needed inventory to sell after being let go. And he definitely needed another outlet to, to move some product um, because he, as we saw in his warehouses and the stores, he was sitting on a ton of oh stuff, a ton yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, so a few months go by with that. And it's July ish. Yeah. Yeah. July and pro- product's been selling and then, um, it's going well. And then we get a text from John to meet, to meet on, on his boat. Oh my God. Um, yeah. and yeah, yeah. I will say, you know, we've had a lot of meetings in our time at TSM and we're, pr- we're probably going to have a lot more before this is all said and done. But, but this meeting was by far Dude, the longest. It was 15 hours and like ever a had. fucking million Miller Lights a long. million, dude. It was, it was There crazy. was a bottomless supply of Miller Lights. <laughs> and we like made we like went back to land like two different times to pick up different people. It, 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 it was nuts. Anyways, anyways, back on track here. The point of the meeting was he he wanted to partner on a brick and mortar store. Um and the actually the old RJ Bradley's in Western Mass. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the deal? Like we did a profit split. Rent was cheap, um, yeah, was super which cheap. he was, uh, they were fronting. Um, I think it was 36,000 bucks for six months with a renewal option. Yep. And the deal was we just needed to build out the store and run it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we took the deal. We've been running ski shops, you know, you know, full time since 2007 in a similar market. Like we can do this. And uh, we learned a lot. We did. I mean, we learned, we, we learned a ton. Um, again, like you said, we had been working retail or at least like the floor of retail at that point for a long time. We both felt, you know, pretty well versed in like day to day aspects of that and the operation of a ski shop and how it kind of works, but building out an entire store, um, on a completely shoestring budget, you know, we didn't have any idea of how to do that at that time. And it was not an easy task. No, I mean, Really, in hindsight, it was it was an incredibly fantastic experience for us because the things we learned from the Westford days would, would clearly help us down the road. But at the time, it was really it was fucking hard, man. Yeah, dude. And you know, like that that store did okay, actually. I mean, nothing amazing, but not bad. No, it wasn't bad at all. Not and, bad at and, all. and and unfortunately, John <clears throat> decided that the Westford store was not something that he wanted to to pursue or hang on to beyond that season. So. So our next steps with John was he offered us a similar, similar deal that we had in Westford, except this time it would be heading up the ECA store in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so this Boston store was, is, was located on Commonwealth Avenue. It's now uh, a city target. Um, if anyone in the city kn- knows what we're talking about, it's, it's on the BU campus. That's, that was the location. And crazy how similar like the layout is oh, like, when, when we go, go in it's target, like nostalgia like, yeah. yeah it's like damn like skis used to be here bikes were here and now yeah. it's like toothpaste and it's still it's pretty smells like ink it smells yeah. like ink yeah, yeah. from the foot below mm. uh <laughs> it does but but that store actually used to be like the flagship ski market you know mm-hmm. the, the the crown jewel and and the ski market empire of old you know so which was at the time really particularly intriguing to both George and I, because we had heard so many stories about how epic this storefront used to be, how there were still so many people that were working in the business in those years and still are that had a connection to that ski market on Com Ave and would talk about essentially the glory days of the Com Ave location and how yeah. it was the best retail store that they'd ever seen or ever work at or work with or whatever. And now, you know, presented to us, we had an opportunity to, to experience it for ourselves. Yeah, dude. So we, we took over running that store in April of 2013. It wasn't performing 
well at all. And honestly, dude, I think a big, I mean, I don't think like the big reason for that was everyone that worked, you know, at that store was fucked up all the time, all the time drinking on the job. So we got in there and um, we got rid of them. Yeah. And uh, we made a few good hires and brought in, you know, a few people that we'd had, you know, on board since the New Hampshire days. And yeah, dude, we turned that store. We turned it around, dude. I mean, it went, it went from like an abysmal place with trash everywhere to like, well, wow, this place is kind of humming. It, it was awesome. And, and at the time, too, we were doing all the expo shit. Oh, my God. Too. Yeah. So, yeah, the Boston Expo. All right. Like, this is a whole other thing. It, yeah, it's, let's, it's, let's talk it's, about it's it. It's wild. Like, so, you know, from a customer standpoint, you have to drive to this destination, you know, in the city, um, you know, this event center, whatever. You have to buy tickets to get in. Mm-hmm. The product that you can buy is previous years, close out stuff that nobody wants. It's way overpriced and items are marked down, you know, from an MSRP that's inflated. Like that number is not even real. So the deal you're really getting is 15 to 20% off for the most part, not like this 50 to 80% off like they're marketing. And you can, you know, look at next year's product, but you can't, you can't buy it from the the brand ski booths. Oh, you dude, know, it's, it's, ridic- it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and if you do want to buy it, then you're directed to a retailer miles away instead of the one retailer that is allowed to sell equipment at the actual show because the brands don't allow the quote show retailer to sell inline product. Oh yeah. So then like, you know, the guy that runs the show, he charges a fee to the retailer that is allowed to sell at the event. And like, dude, we're not talking about like uh, a small, fee like this is hundreds of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. a fee that um we'll keep his name out of it but the guy that was running the show gets resor- regardless, regardless of what sells or how many people show up so you have the customer getting gouged and probably not getting the right product it's like no and you have the retailer that's on the hook for all the inventory and has to rely on way way too many outside factors to ensure that the expo is a success it's crazy yeah and dude in like sure like the the retailer at the show could do seven figures in 4 days but to do a million bucks in revenue you need probably 1618 in inventory so you know, you got 600, 800K in unsold inventory. You had to pay people to receive it, sticker it, hang it, transport it, sell it. Oh, you also had to store it at some point. And then you had to pay people to be at the show. Um, it, it, the math just, it doesn't, no, it doesn't work. It's insane, man. It's insane. When you, and when you, when you count it out like that and you're like, what is even happening? I mean, in the end days of the show, I mean, the only people that were, were making money were the vendors and the people who are running the event. And I mean, even the vendors might deny that, but that's the truth. The vendors were making money and the people that were running the event were making money. I mean, it was an eye-opening experience for both of us. Um, and I'm really glad that we both got to work it, see the inner workings of the retail side of the operation and any romantic feelings about making seven figures in a weekend at the Boston Ski Show were wiped away because of that experience. Yeah. I mean, both working both the Boston location and the expo, we unfortunately and very quickly realized that ECA was no longer interested in investing in the retail stores, which is what we wanted them to, to essentially invest in, you know, yeah. and they were allocating all their time and all their money to, to the Boston Ski Expo. Yeah. So, um, you know, on that, like, so, um, let me think of the date real quick. Uh, so on April 27th, 2014. Sounds right. Um, I remember, I'll never forget this subject line. Uh, but it was schedule update and it was from, uh, Sarah, John's wife. You're like, Oh, what the fuck does this mean? Um, 
And uh, uh, by schedule update, what they meant was they were closing the stores. Um, and this was going out to all of their employees. And uh, then, you know, uh, had a voicemail and it was like, uh, yeah, hey, George, uh, Eric, uh, yeah, that email uh, that we sent doesn't apply to you guys. Uh, we have super exciting stuff to talk to you. Can't wait to talk to you about it tomorrow. It's going to be great. And like, okay. So um, I think I went and watched Captain America or something that <laughs> night. Like, just, I'm going to think about something else. So um, the next day we go to the ComAv store, you know, because we had product to ship. And while we're there, we're just hearing about how horrible this store is, how it doesn't make any money, rent is too high, we need to get out of this, it's bleeding us dry. Um, and what you guys are going to do, you're going to go meet with John, and he's going to talk to you about how you guys are moving to Newton. and uh, Newton. Yeah. And uh, you guys are actually going to pay us rent at that store too. And yep. like, oh my God, what the fuck is even Your happening? Your office, I mean, you have an office, you got, you got to write a check. Got yeah. to write a check. So on our way to that meeting, we're like, this is insane. Boston can absolutely crush it. Well, dude, I mean, we, we, we knew that. And not only did we know, like for sure, that Boston could absolutely crush it. But I will say, side note here, I remember thinking that the Newton store pitch was one of the strangest parts of the ECA story. I mean, it was such a strong pitch. And, and, and believe me, there was some wild ass shit going on during those years, like wild shit. And this was still, this particular pitch about moving to Newton, it still has me puzzled to, to this day, even to this day. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, me too. it's bizarre. I mean, when they started their pitch about the Newton store, all they could talk about was how rich the clientele would be, yeah. how it's one of the nicest neighborhoods in the whole state. How many car, the cars, the cars, they're, they're just driving by every day, et cetera, et cetera. And I just remember thinking like, what the fuck do you think you have in Boston? Like, what are you guys fucking talking about? Yeah, dude. So, so, you know, we're sitting there, you know, with, with John and he's telling us like the same, same song and dance. We just got how, you know, this is happening and uh, like bleeding us dry, awful business, whatever. And we thought it was, you know, good. Right. So we're like, okay. Well, if this is so bad, mm -hmm. how about we just take the ComAv store off your balance sheet? Boom. Um, we'll start paying rent on the first, which was in a few days, and uh, we'll negotiate, you know, inventory, fixtures, mach machines, you know, all that. And uh, I remember he he paused and was like, "This is uh, really interesting." Uh, let me talk to my lawyer and I'll uh, get back to you guys. Yeah, I mean, I think we caught him off guard a little bit. And he definitely was was pondering it. He was also, <clears throat> so, excuse me. He was also sober at at that at that particular meeting. So, the the who knows how it ramped up later on because a couple days later. So a couple days goes by after that, and you know we're kind of just sitting in limbo, kind of lingering. Um, and on April thirtieth, I believe he tells us to to meet yeah. him at, at the Com App Store. So, look, okay. And again, like I just said, keep in mind we we were literally just hanging in the balance here for a couple days. We literally have have no idea w w what's happening. So we're just waiting for him to come back with some kind of counter or like give us some direction on, on what he's thinking. Cause obviously our, our career is semi in the balance here as well. So, so we go to Boston to meet him and he tells us just straight up looks us in the eye and just says the deal for ECA is 1.3 million. Yeah. And we're like, okay. So, um, oh. uh, so that includes inventory fixtures, machines, and the remainder of the lease to which he responded, no, that is just for the business. The business is 1.3. And, you know, anyone that's listening and knows him can probably, like, picture his face saying that. <laughs> and I was like, 
You just spent a whole fucking day telling us how your business here is worth nothing. What the fuck are you talking about? Worthless. Worthless. You're moving because this is worthless. And now it's 1.3 million? Yeah. And then he looked us both in the eye and I quote, he said, quote, you guys either write me a check for $1.3 million or you get your shit and you get the fuck out. So um, uh, you're probably never going to guess where this is going, but uh, we got the fuck out. We got out. We were gone. Yeah. We were gone. <laughs> we're like, okay, well, that doesn't make any sense. So I guess, I guess we, we have to go. So one, one awesome thing is what we learned from our first go of this whole thing, getting fired and all. So now we're up to twice, two times getting fired. And uh, we realized we needed somewhat of a buffer in, in the contract in case this happened to us again, which it, which it did. So George ingeniously put in, in a clause in the second contract with ECA that would give us 30 days of selling ECA's equipment if either party wished to terminate the contract, which is incredible. So at this time, we weren't completely out in the cold for inventory. Yeah, and it took them like 12 days to like do that clause. So we kind of got an extra 12, which was nice. But like, yeah, so before... Um, you know, we were going to like seek out a retail space in Boston. We needed to make sure that we had, you know, support from, uh, vendors. So we got on the phone with all the sales reps, uh, managers, and, um, all the ones we contacted were like, Oh my God, we're hundred percent support this Boston need this so bad. Like you guys deserve this. Like, this is just like, this is, this is huge. I'm so stoked for you guys. This is amazing. We got your back. And uh, we're like, okay, yeah, yeah, great. Liars, all of them. But we knew that we needed, we needed to get the vendor support because the vendor support will be critical because without their support, then it, it would prove almost impossible to be successful. Yeah. So, um, you know, Eric had an inkling that basically, you know, us and ECA um, uh, parting ways, you know, might happen. So he started a soft search on spaces back in uh, January. And the first space that caught his eye was uh, at 60 Canal Street. Coincidentally, um, yeah. um, Where we're recording this right now. And we walked over from our respective apartments. Uh, Eric was in the North End. I lived in um, over by the Museum of Science. And, uh, you know, the name of the real estate agent um, for the space was uh, Joe Levanto. So we gave him a call. And we met up with him a few days later and man, we looked at like 50 spaces all over Boston from, uh, the Converse building all the way over to, uh, South station. And, you know, all those 50 spots, they really range from like about, yeah, 5,000 to 12,000 square feet. Yeah. Um, and really after going through, you know, the real estate tour of downtown with Joe, you know, he's showing us all these spaces, and you're kind of just going through the motions. I mean, it was pretty clear to us right away that 60 Canal Street was the one. Uh, even though we, you know, went and saw all these things. I mean, every place we saw, we just were kind of reverting back to like it just 60 Canal just had a feeling about it that this is this is where we're going to be. Yeah. Um, except small hiccup here is at the time, you know, 60, 60 Canal Street had a had a temporary tenant in the in the retail floor. Um, so that would require, you know, some sort of cooperation with the landlord to arrange range of meeting. And, and even though we knew this, I, I remember, I remember this, it was like it was yesterday. It, we were in downtown cross. It was pouring rain. Yeah. And we were, we were standing in this alleyway in downtown crossing, like right next to the Walgreens. Mm-hmm. Weird place to stand. Um, but anyways, it, and I remember Joe being like, all right, so what, what do you, what do you, what do you guys think about the spaces? And then George just looked, George looked the shit in the face and you're just like, what are our next steps in securing 60 Canal Street? 
<laughs> just yeah. like straight up yeah. Joe's like, well, uh, like I said, you know, uh, there's someone in there and you know, there's a tenant in there, you know, they know it's a, and we were like, Joe, let's, let's arrange a meeting here. We, yeah. So we were persistent enough about arranging a meeting with the landlord and Joe Levanto came through and got it set up. Yeah. So we meet with Joe and Bill Colby, the owner of the building. Um, Bill's family has owned this building since, uh, uh, 1910. Um, and the, really the point of this meeting was to sell ourselves and our company to prove that we were a good investment for, uh, Bill Colby and, you know, that we were a safe place to really, you know, rent to, um, that we'd pay rent, we're sustainable business, all that. And dude, we nailed the meeting. It really couldn't have gone any better. And we both left that mealing meeting, you know, just really feeling like we fucked we fucked it up. Even though it went so well. Yeah, like this isn't going to happen. We did our best and it was crazy, you know, to feel like you couldn't have done true. any any better and that that wasn't good enough. It, it really felt like we lost. It, we did feel like we, we lost and the meeting was long. It was like four hours of just like going over everything. You know, we had prepared an awesome binder. He had a ton of questions. It was a really long meeting and I just remember at the very end, um, he kind of looked at us, you know, he's a, he's an older gentleman. He's the man, Bill's the man. And he just kind of softly looked at us and, and said, he's like, all right, boys, let me get this straight. You want to sell ski and snowboard equipment on Canal Street? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we we're like, uh, yes. He's like, okay, I have to ask this <laughs> again. You've seen Canal Street, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I, I've seen it. We, we went, so literally George and I, after like that question was asked, we shook hands and we went right to lunch after that meeting. We, we literally, I think we were at, yeah. we went to Papagayo, I think yeah. at the time. There was a Papagayo in, in, um, in Charlestown. And we were just eating tacos. And we were just thinking like, well, this was it. Like, fuck, man. You yeah, know? it really felt like, what the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Like, th- this is it, you know? Um, it's over. But luckily, in about a week, we received an email with Bill's proposal. And he was basically outlining, you know, what it would take to, to secure at least a Yeah, and the problem, like, with the proposal was the security deposit. Like we need to come up with a lot of cash in, in a very short amount of time. And uh, fortunately we had some family members that believes in what we were doing and they loaned us the money for the security deposit. Um, thank you. Um, a little more back and forth. Yes. Which, thank you very much. Which took about a, a month and uh, it's crazy how slow some of these processes go, but like that took a, month. Like some deals go fast. These commercial real estate deals can take forever. So, um, we got ourselves a deal. We immediately hit up all the brands. You're like, we got the space. We have 11,000 square feet in downtown Boston for the next 10 fucking years. Can you believe it? Let's fucking do this. And they're like, well, 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 we didn't, we didn't think you guys are actually going to do it. And we're like, what What the fuck are you talking talking about? Like, uh, we can't support you. And we're like, are you fucking kidding me? We just put our fucking asses on the line for like a few million bucks, yeah. dude. What the fuck? Liars. All bunch of liars. And again, we're, we're way better than this now. Oh, hundred percent. I'm not, I'm, I mean, we're here. <clears throat> we're not going to name names. Ben Wallace, Mike Newton, and Ron Steele. We're way above that shit. Like we way would never, it. never name names. And I mean, even like brands, I'm not going to call out brands. that would never, I would never do that. Like, why would we say Vocal Nordica Blizzard K2 wouldn't sell to us? We take the high road every time, baby. The view <laughs> yeah. is way better up here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, shout out to Clint Lyons, Tyson Hall, Ben Anderson, Ken McDonald, Aaron Reese, Peter Kidd, and Matt Berkowitz for believing us in year one. And John Proto. And John Proto. John Proto came through with some with some 
refurbished machines. John, you're the man. Uh, without those machines, we would have been in the pickle, man. So thank you. Seriously, guys, thank you so much. Um, so it's August 4th, 2014. We're closing the deal on the space at a coffee shop around the um, uh, corner from the store. And Bill is like, so the Segway guy, like the other tenant that was in the space temporarily, he was on like a license deal or something like that. Um, do you want me to kick him out now? I can. That's all within, you know, the deal. And um, he's like, you know, his season's done Labor Day weekend. And we're like, you know, I don't know. Don't, don't kick him out. You know, we don't want to hurt his business. It's bad karma. We're trying to get ours, you know, going and off the ground. Let him finish out his season. Like we totally get what it's like to be a seasonal business and a lot of the work we need to do is downstairs anyway. That doesn't affect him. Like, you know what? Just let him do his thing, right? So a month goes by. Bill sends us an email, you know, so now it's like after Labor Day weekend or whatever. And uh, Bill sends us an email saying, is the, is the, the Segway guy, you know, he should be uh, out. Is he all cleaned up? And uh, um, then he... Uh, chose to uh, just squat in uh, the space for uh, the next 60 days. Legit squat. Legit yeah. squatter. I mean, we're, we're trying to build out a ski retail store, a store that's never sold ski equipment before, literally from the ground up. And we have a, we have a, we have a commercial real estate squatter staking claim oh my God. to our new, our, new, our new freshly signed lease. I mean, it got so bad at the time that the, the landlord, Bill, had to put up like this partition in, in the middle of the retail floor. Um, and if you guys have been, anyone that's hearing this has been to the store, it was like right beyond where the stairs to go down. So it was, it was like about halfway and they put a door that locked from our side because we were trying to build displays and had inventory everywhere. And this dude was like coming onto our side. We were afraid that he was going to steal inventory. So that even Bill <laughs> had, it got so bad. He put an overnight security guard yeah. in our space to guard the door overnight while, you know, he was going through a legit court battle with this squatter to try to legally remove him from our space. It, it, it was, it was crazy. I, and ironically, what's funny is the courthouse is literally like a hundred feet from canal street. So we like look directly at it. Like you could see them go yeah. over there in the morning and then come back. I mean, it's just, it was so, it was yeah. so strange. I mean, oh my God. this is one of those cases. Like sometimes being overly fair comes back to just fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we should have just told the guy to beat it from the start. But yeah. We didn't. Yeah. So crazy times. The partition comes down. November 1st, 2014. Um, and we still got, we still got stuff to do. Like we got to build the snowboard wall, you know, the storage behind that wall. We got to build dressing rooms, goggle displays. Um, we got to change some lighting stuff and then we have to merchandise this stuff out. And, you know, um, the reason why we really only had five days was the Boston ski show started that Thursday, November 6th. Yeah. And we needed to look perfect and make all the brands that didn't open open us question their decision which they fucking did they definitely did definitely um did. so you know word started getting out um about our store and like specifically um how good we were at boot fitting and after thanksgiving we were starting to feel busy we were fitting a fuck ton of boots um i mean season one we sold we sold a thousand, yeah, just over a thousand adult ski boots. And like for some context, uh, listeners, that's like about two to three times what an established store sells in a full year. Yeah. And not, not junior boots, not 
price point adult boots, like legit adult boots. And yeah. what's even crazier about that number um, is that we only did it with three ski boot brands. We did it with Fisher, Dubell, and Head. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that really helped us that first year was how much it snowed. Yeah. Um, the Boston Snowpocalypse or whatever it was mm-hmm. called, which also gave us a ton of momentum heading into our second season, which by that time we could carry basically whatever we wanted. The brands were knocking um, at our door. They were. Um, and then once Thanksgiving of 2015 came around, weather was not good in New England. And we went from like having the best winter ever in New England to the worst. The worst. One. No snow. I, I mean, I remember I still have them on my phone from that first winter. And like the snow banks were above the windows. Yeah. They, they, there was so much snow. It, it was insane. Like they were dumping it in the seaport. They didn't know what to do with it. It, we were it, we were completely buried, and then literally the next year we didn't get a snowflake. No, it was completely dry. No. It, it, it was crazy. Yeah. But what, the craziest thing about that, though, I will say, is that we weren't really impacted by it at all, business wise. No. I mean, we were still growing like crazy, and I think we were unaffected, really, for a few different reasons. And it, but I, what I, what I think the biggest one is for me that stood out was that the skiers in the Boston market which we found out we're going to buy gear and go skiing regardless of what the local snow conditions were. Yeah. And our customers knew they were going to get the best advice from us and in an environment without like a bunch of skilies kids right. running around. Yeah. I mean, in our time of running those various stores, we learned you got to pick what your focus is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't have it both ways and be successful. Are you going to lease um, kid skis or do you want to sell adult equipment? And we chose to sell, the cool stuff. And that's adult gear. Like we do not sell junior equipment and dude, it always drives me nuts how bad the vibe is in, you know, those ski leasing stores that are like trying to like play it both ways. Like, dude, why would you want to buy anything here? This is just awful. Like I can't, I can't have a conversation. There's kids running around all over the place. And yeah, that's not what we wanted to be. That's uh, that's not the ski monster. It throws off the whole vibe. It throws off the whole vibe. And you know, we picked that early on and what the ski monster really, really means to not only us, but the people that were helping out to do it the way that we, we did it. It just, it feels better. Yeah. Now at this point, I mean, the store is absolutely humming. I mean, we are slammed every single day of the week. Product is fucking flying out of TSM Boston. And then, um, and then in December, uh, well actually dude, can we even, can no. we talk about this? No, we can't. I wish we could. Um, well, what would our lawyers let us say? Dude, I think all we can say is an event happened that we wouldn't wish upon anyone, and uh, we have a legal team now. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, an event that carried a heavy financial burden, and at the time that a young, growing company was in dire need, dire need of every fucking dollar. Yeah. Um, let's just say, I guess, we'll just, we'll just say that we learned a lot about a lot of things in a very short amount of time, and that's that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So we, yeah, we got that behind us. We, we managed to survive and it's time to tackle the next problem, um, which was our point of sale system. There wasn't a good option out there that could provide us what we needed. So we built our own with our developer. Um, once we launched that in 2018, it was clear that this could really help a lot of other retailers and brands so uh, eventually our tech startup, Igniter, which this we've bootstrapped as well, mm-hmm. um, 
we'll offer that platform to other retailers and brands, uh, et cetera. So that platform that we built, Igniter, allowed us to work, you know, much more efficiently and gave us more bandwidth to tackle, you know, uh, the next thing. And, you know, we needed to hire some rock stars. AP, Neil, Jack, CJ came on over full time in 2018. Then we hired Berkowitz to handle the marketing, which I was doing it, you know, back then. And Devin, you know, we hired to do, you know, uh, soft goods. And, you know, that took that off Brady's plate because he was, you know, juggling, you know, buying all the soft good stuff and doing customer service. And yeah. 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 Uh, you know, I think this is something worth noting, noting, excuse me, that, and I've said this m- many times before, but I think all, all business owners or co-founders, you know, they end up struggling with, with letting things go, or I should say, you know, responsibilities go, you know, but if you want the business to continue to grow, those who are initially responsible essentially for starting it need to realize that delegating and empowering others can be way more critical to the overall success of the company than if they were to say, hang on to those things for too long. Yeah. I mean, we set out on this venture in 2007 to make skiing and snowboarding better and to grow the sport. And you, you can't do that if you try to do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, how's the phrase go? Uh, faster alone, further together. That's how it goes, dude. That's a good one. Yeah. That's, how it was, that's, that's a great one. I love that one. Yeah. So, so we're, right. oh, so where, so where are we at here? We're um, uh, 2019, 2020 season. Okay. We're feeling, you know, good. You know, we've been through a lot and, uh, things have been going well for a couple of years. Like what else could go wrong? What could and go wrong. Bang. How about a virus? <laughs> yeah. Ever heard of it? Let's yeah. just shut down the the world real, real quick. This should go over great for everyone. Yeah. Um, but I will say Boston was one of the first cities to get shut down in America. So we were on the front lines of what was about what was about to come. So we had already sent staff home to work remote, and TSM Boston was obviously closed until further notice. So we were like, "Fuck, man, we need to sell some equipment." So we reacted and put everything on sale on the internet app like immediately. Yeah, the this is crazy sale. Um, Sick. Extra 20% off everything. And I think we launched it on like March 18th. And dude, that pissed off so many brands. A lot of emails. I mean, the emails I was getting to stop the sale was ridiculous. Like, I was like, you know what? I'm trying to keep everyone employed, pay our rent, which for the first floor is just shy of 40 grand a month, and be in business for the next season. The world is closed. Resorts are closed. What the fuck do you want me to do? Like this stuff has to be on sale, and like we're closed. And they were like, uh, uh, "What we want you to do is we want you to stop the sale." And uh, we didn't stop the sale. Wrong. Not stopping the sale. Wrong. We we kept it rolling, and we didn't lay off one person, and we paid rent on time every single month. Brag, love it. Yeah, we're not stopping that sale. No. Um, so really, you know, we started talking about an appointment only model, you know, in 2019, um, because of, the, of just the sheer volume the, for the foot traffic was, was so high during certain times of the day. Like we were just getting completely overwhelmed, like just absolutely like ransacked with people. Yeah. We were not able to provide the level of customer service that really helped TSM Boston, you know, become the success that, that, that it, that it is. And, and because of COVID, People were, were, were way more willing to accept and really embrace the, the appointment-only model. Yeah, like moving to appointment-only has been one of, if not the best decision we've made as a company. It allows us to help more people and provide a better experience. I mean, if 
you know, we weren't appointment only, we wouldn't be able to, you know, fit 4,000 plus ski boots uh, per year. Right, right. Very true. Um, I mean, it's really just amazing with everything, how much it's, 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 it's helped. I mean, the appointment yeah. only model for everyone that's involved in it, you know, from the staff to the, to the customer, it's just been, it's been fantastic. Yeah. And honestly, another opportunity that COVID really provided us was, was moving into office space in the same building that we currently are in for TSM Boston. It, it's, it's crazy. I mean, this office space now increases our footprint to like, it's even crazy to say this 17,000 square feet in, in downtown Boston. It really provides us with the space that we needed to build out a full customer service team, uh, we're shooting product videos, building content around every category that we sell. And of course, you know, started a podcast that you guys listen to right now. I mean, yeah, dude. I mean, for a long time, it was just you and me doing it all, like literally wearing all the hats and we just don't uh, do that anymore. I mean, we have a really incredible team that we are, you know, super proud of our business partners, Brady, Dylan, Neil, I've been through a lot. It's been a pretty wild ride and uh, thanks for sticking by our side. Yeah. Um, thanks guys. Yeah. The sincerest thank you. And, uh, you know, not to leave out, uh, AK, Tyler, CJ, Berkowitz, Devin, Tate, AP, mm-hmm. Joe, Garrett, Samantha, Trevor, Andrea. Yep. Um, yep. Michael, Brandon, we got Matt and Tony. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh, Alex, Chris, Beth and Patrick. Yeah, dude. So many people. And of course all the new full-timers and, uh, part-time employees, and to our customers, thank you so much. Without you, we don't exist. No, we don't. And you know, doing this and looking back, I mean, the obstacles that we've had to overcome for us to get this far almost makes this entire thing seem like impossible. I mean, for a while there, every year, it felt like there was something catastrophic happening that would ultimately lead to our demise. And every fucking year, we had to figure out how to change or how to adapt and basically just fight through these obstacles because neither one of us would really accept anything other than than success. Yeah, I mean, we got into this business because we are beyond passionate about skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. I mean, that passion, man. Uh, we're in this business because we we wanted it, not because it was handed to us. Yeah, no. And anyone out there that wants to start their own business, both George and I strongly encourage you to do so. I mean, it will be one of the hardest by, and, and by far the most rewarding experiences that you can do in life, like period. Just remember that when, when you're running your own show, some days it feels like you're on top of the world and some other days it feels like your life's going to end, which neither of which are true, No, but you learn to balance those dramatic waves and you just keep pushing, pushing through, man. Yeah. Just keep the ball rolling. And um, yeah, man, thanks everyone again for listening. Thanks to all of our customers who have helped make TSM in, into what it is today. Hope you guys really enjoyed our little story time here on the Boston Ski Party today. And uh, we'll see you guys on the next pod. Peace, y'all.